Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petrie. I have a brand new guest on who wrote a book. His book is Striking Down the Home, The Propaganda of Family Court and Child Support Mechanisms by Toby Streeb. Now, what has become commonplace today was practically unheard of a century ago, the state's war against the family. Author Toby Streeb exposes the darkest, best-kept secret of the divorce industry. This is an unflinching, uncensored examination of the often harrowing and progressively dehumanizing twists and turns with the divorce and child custody apparatus. And he exposes the government's stealthy maneuvers to pit the family members against one another, strategically funneling them into the government's divorce machinery. These mechanisms, however, are constructed to undermine parental authority, remove individual responsibility, strangle religious freedom, and destroy self-government. It is systematically creates poverty, incentivizes child abuse, encourages government dependency, and devalues fatherhood. And you'll learn that Parents Patrier, which I've talked about in other podcasts, um, isn't an inherent power of the state, how child support doesn't support children, how protection orders injure the ones they're intended to protect, and how the divorce mechanisms are weaponized to control the mind, conforming the individual into this image of the state. Toby Streeb shares his personal divorce experience and the permanent scars caused by the government intervention, but his courage to stand against the tyranny is an encouragement to all who are trapped in the ruthless machine. He offers practical ways to endure adversity, strategize your divorce case, and peacefully resist an oppressive government. And this is what the book looks like. And I encourage everyone to get it. Whoops, sorry. Um, and it's just so a wealth of information that I think everyone should, you know, be aware of. And I welcome you to the show, Toby. How are you? And how did you write this book and get this going? Well, thank you, Marianne. I'm glad to be here. Um, my book actually started as a personal journal. Okay, um, I was going through my divorce at the time, going through some of the trauma, the government was doing all kinds of stuff. And so after it had been after my second arrest, I realized that my case was not being handled with integrity. Uh, but there was so much drama that the government was creating and causing so at that time, I just started writing like a journal, just annotating dates, what happened to me here, what happened there. That was, and I never had, at that time, I had no intention of even publishing, even writing a book. I just wanted to log these details because what was going on is somebody would say something, then later on turn around, they never said that. You know, somebody would do this but they never did that. I mean, all of this. So how do you catch somebody saying something that they're going to deny later on? How do you catch people lying, but yet having it recorded down so, you know, so you could come back to it? That's how my book actually started. And it was, you know, it was later on as I began my own investigation, looking into 
things that were happening, that's when I started entering different in information on what was going on, what the government was really about, and it just kind of grew from there. Mm-hmm. Because now you're in the state of New Mexico, and I just have heard a lot of bad things about New Mexico. Oh yes, that that is correct. Yes, and and how many kids do you have? I have five. Mm-hmm. You know, and everyone asks. I mean, everyone asks me because you know I've written a book too. But they say, "Oh, do you talk to your kids? How, when was the last time you talked to your kids?" And it's, it's like, uh, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, I haven't. Um, since that time, my case took place back in 2016. And since then, I have not talked to my children. I've not heard from them at all. Um, what I did, I, what I do is I, I do periodically write them. I write them letters that, and I even send these letters snail mail, but I also post them up on the internet. So I have my website. It's very inexpensive, very cheap. You can find a way to have cheap websites, mm-hmm. very inexpensive. I do that. And I, on that blog, I, I use it to try to just post the letters that I write to my children. Mm-hmm. I think that's smart. That's good advice to give people. Yeah, I did. You know, I, I started when I started that, I started just doing just the physical letters, write a letter, do it snail mail to them. And then I, I come to the conclusion that wasn't working so well because I might write the letter and send it. My, ex, my wife, Amy, might get the letter, destroy it, mm-hmm. it reach them, it may, whatever, something could happen to it. And I, I mean, I, I, I tend to think that my wife would be more guilty of mysteriously disappearing letters. So then I wanted to reach out and say, well, you know, everybody Googles themselves from time to time, their own name. So by doing a website with and posting these letters as a blog, my children ever get online, they search themselves, they can find it, you know, and they can find that I've been trying to communicate with them. Right. And because a lot of parents want to know, you know, like, what's the best way when the child isn't communicating back and years go by? It's very sad. Yes, it is. It all starts and stems from, um, you know, like a divorce gone bad. Um, Either that person is a personality disorder or, you know, they don't want to let go of maybe memories. And so they're going to use those kids as pawns. Right. You know, and so, you know, um, this all happened to you back in 2016. And um, you, it was over irreconcilable differences, which is what probably, that's what they put on my divorce thing too, as well. Right. You know, so, and then that set off a a chain reaction. So what all happened? Well, so yeah, it was, it was like April of 2016 was when my wife had filed for divorce. Okay. And And like you said it well, it was filed under irreconcilable differences. Okay. Yeah. You know, there's really, I personally tend to think there's no such thing as irreconcilable differences. Okay. Because whenever there's a divorce, questions always have to be addressed. Custody, visitation, support, 
those things always need to be addressed. Okay. And so in my particular case, though, my wife, Amy, she had already made those decisions. These decisions did not come out later on. These decisions that she made had already been made at the time she filed for divorce. Okay. These decisions were that she would get full and sole custody. I get visitation only. That would be two days per week three hours per day, but I'm not allowed to see my children at all on the weekends. So then that means my two days per week would have to be during the week, Monday through Friday. I know that overnight visitation was allowed, no holiday visits was allowed, and I would pay Amy child support. That, you know... Those are some harsh demands, you know, for, you know, divorce under irreconcilable differences. And that's what your setup was very similar to mine, what the judge did to me, because this is happening to mothers and fathers everywhere. You know, like, especially the, the, the thing that got me was no holidays and the judge, I'm pretty sure specified no Mother's Day. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and it's it's very tragic. Now, yes, there is a problem when, when you have a spouse who's filing for divorce and they're going to make demands like that. It's a totally different thing when the state is very complicit with those demands. Now, I'm not entirely sure if... Amy was the one that proposed those demands. That's what she wants. Or maybe if Amy kind of left it vague and the state's attorney that she went through for the filing of the divorce actually recommended it or maybe proposed it to Amy and Amy loved it. But regardless, whether Amy proposed it and the attorney accepted it or vice versa, That is a conspiracy because the two of them together, Amy, a private citizen with a government employee on in his governmental position, were conspiring together against me. Mm -hmm. And our our stories are so similar. Um, I just I feel so bad for you. And, you know, um, it's just so when they start conspiring, you can't stop them. Right. Oh, not at all. You know, and it was interesting after all, and after they did that, then for some reason, I don't understand it, but Amy wanted me to sign. She thought I was going to sign the papers, you know, almost like I didn't care that I had children, almost like I would be happy to just abandon my kids or something like, like that's something that was, should have pleased me. You know, yeah, I don't know why, you know, I don't know. Maybe her attorney was egging her on. Yeah. I think that's also a big problem. Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because then that is something I know this is something I pointed out in my book that all divorce cases are filed under irreconcilable differences anymore. If, for instance, if you were divorced and let's say you had a legitimate divorce, let's say your husband cheated on you with another 
when you caught him, you have physical evidence that your husband did this. So now you want to file for divorce. That in America is a legitimate cause for divorce. But now there's a problem. If you file under the case of adultery, guess what? Now the divorce cannot be automatically granted. You have to prove that um, he committed this adultery on you. And it, for you to prove it, you got to get your evidence. You got to may have to get an attorney. You might have to go to court. You got to file a law. Now you got to appear in court, present your case. You got the whole nine yards involved there. Whereas, oh, well, if you just file under irreconcilable differences, now you can get divorced. You don't have to prove that he cheated on you. You see what I'm saying? And so that creates ultimately problems in any divorce case when you don't have to prove a wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, when you were going through this, did you have a lot of family and friend support? Um, well, so initially my case was in New Mexico, but my family was in um, Ohio. Okay. I did have friends in New Mexico. The sad part is, the sad part is when, you know, when there's a false allegation that gets leveraged against you, your friends and even in, in many times family will turn on you at the drop of a dime. Mm -hmm. yet, it's, yet it's an allegation that you cannot defend against. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's one of those things that it's like, if you're going to accuse me of doing something, then the leverage of proof lies with you. Mm -hmm. You're the one who's responsible to prove it. And if you can't prove it, then I'm innocent before the law, you know, yet there's one, there's one crime that that tends to go out the window. It was the crime that, um, that, uh, who was the, our last president, Trump, Trump went through when he was, uh, campaigning for the white house, mm -hmm. the sexual impropriety. Okay, so instead of him campaigning, instead of him focusing on the job, all of a sudden he's got to exhaust all his time and effort and resources to defend himself against women that want to lie. Mm -hmm. Judge Roy Moore was going through the same thing in the Alabama uh, Senate race against Jones. Yeah, the false accusation thing really uh, bothers me to no end, that people can just uh, call out a lie, <clears throat> even in the courtroom when you start into family court. Right. And once that's shot out by the opposition, it's like you don't have a prayer. You got that right. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's kind of like it invades the psych, you mm -hmm. know? In, it invades, it does something, that particular lie does something to the mind of people. So once it gets spewed from somebody's mouth, all of a sudden it's done. The damn mm -hmm. done, it can't be reversed and everybody's going to believe it. And what I'm finding is the more people I'm talking to is that, and, and in my case, the judge was bffs with the opposing attorney they all know each other and people judge shop 
and attorney shop. So they know that they, they get the judge and the attorneys that know each other. Right. And so they get it all set up. And I, I always tell people, you know, go look into these people's backgrounds and see who they know, who knows who. Right. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it, it's just, there was, I mean, there's so much of that, even in the state of New Mexico, you know, there's some things you can, you can tell from paper trails and things like that. For instance, the situation between Amy and the state's attorney. That's an example that this kind of a paper trail, it's, it's a no brainer. You can realize they set off to conspire against me. Mm-hmm. Saying there's no way around it. Other times, it's not as easy to, to determine, to find, you know, or to even see that they're doing, but it's happening nonetheless. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I've run into people that they claim that they don't believe in conspiracies. Oh. Uh, I beg to differ. They are all around us. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's one of the things that we see what happens in the courts. I know like in New Mexico, for instance, you know, this is something different from New Mexico versus Ohio in New Mexico. They will change judges on you. You know, a, after a judge sits on your case one time, that family court judge is pulled off the case, you know, and I'm like, no, just wait a minute. How can a judge be pulled off the case unless somebody else is doing the pulling off? And if somebody else is doing the pulling off, that means that person, whoever that person might be, has power over the judge. Mm-hmm then their powers, if you will, their powers that be, powers that control these judges and these judges themselves are just like puppets on strings being controlled by faceless people. And there's almost, there's like nothing we can do about it. Um, I did a podcast with attorney T. Matt Phillips. And that, I mean, there is something you can do about it. It's a really good podcast that I did with him. But, you know, like I I would need help doing what he's doing. I'm I'm not an attorney. I can't, you know, I wouldn't know what to file. And that's where they they get us. And I don't know, like, were you ever a pro se? Was I, well... Shall we say that was kind of iffy? I, I was, so I started out as pro se. And when I started out as pro se, I, I quickly learned a few things, and maybe the hard way. Mm-hmm. I, it, like in the state of New Mexico, for instance, I was not allowed to take my wife to court at all. Okay. If I wanted, here's the thing, there was a catch to that. If I wanted to take my wife to court at all, I was required to first submit some written interrogatories, okay? Interrogatories, written questions. I would have to submit those written questions to her first, okay? That way she could go to court prepared. She's already got her answers. She already, you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. To do that first. Now, if I ask questions... 
that would expose her for something that she didn't want other people to know. Guess what? There's only one way that she got out and never had to answer those questions. All she had to yell was child abuse. That was it. Facts didn't matter. Yell child abuse. And she no longer had to answer those questions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's either they're yelling child abuse. um, That's what my ex did was emotional child abuse and that I was mentally ill. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and it's like here you're holding a job or a career, you've got a career going, and then you've got someone calling you mentally ill in a courtroom. And, you know, then then they take these kids away from you because that's what happens once they right. out that silver bullet of child abuse. And then they haul you in for child support. And that's that's what happened to you. So tell tell us what happened with your child support situation? Well, I had, so initially child support, they never, I don't know how Pennsylvania or even other states uh, operate and how they operate, but New Mexico operates in a very, very, the child support division operates in a very, very corrupt manner. Mm -hmm. So what they do in the state of New Mexico is from the moment your spouse Files for divorce. At that moment, child support begins. The clock, if you will, the the clock that begins ticking on the child support, it begins ticking at that day. That as, according to that day. So in 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 reality, if your spouse had known that, they could have they could lie and say that they got divorced. You or they got they were separated and he split up two years ago. Mm-hmm. And calculate that child support from two years in the past. Now, all that money would never go to the spouse. Okay. All that money goes to the state themselves, the bureaucrats, the people running the government, the people that work inside the child support division, they pocket that money themselves. So none of it goes to supporting the children. Mm-hmm. Um, that should tell us right away to say something to call something well child support while the whole time you're putting it in your pockets, that would be like me walking up to you with a gun, robbing you at gunpoint, and then say, look, you're a good person because you just supported your children. You know, that that's absurd. Mm-hmm. That's what they would do. Okay, in, in that, you know, in that method. Okay, so the child support clock started ticking from that, but because they were arresting me, they arrested me multiple times. Then even after I made bond, here's what really gets to me. Even after I made bond, they still refused to release me until a week later, you know? So of course my bondsman was about furious. Could you imagine putting up some hundreds of thousands of dollars bond to somebody and the county magistrate still refusing to release the person, you know? Okay. But, mm. you know, they would do all this stuff just to, and, and there was really a specific purpose for it. It was to drag it out mm-hmm. because the more they dragged it out, the more child support that they would be able to keep for themselves. Now, 
and said that child support started ticking from the day of separation. Well, child support, well, you don't know it. It's all hidden. It's all behind the scenes. So even if you wanted to pay it, you couldn't. You had no ability to pay it. Even know what are they calculating it on? Are they just randomly saying, oh, child support is $5,000 per month for one child? Mm-hmm. You have no idea where they're getting the numbers from. Okay. Well, then after they drug it out for a year and a half, then they went and then they established child support. Now, the day that they established child support, that from that point forward, is now when your spouse gets the money. So all the money accumulated from the date of separation until the establishment of child support just goes into the bureaucrats' back pockets. They keep it for themselves, right? And so when the very first time that I got this child support statement that I owe child support, I started out at like $35,000 in back child support. Oh, no. Okay. Then they go through and then they say, as long as you're behind, now we're going to tack interest on it. So then they tack interest on it. However, the interest is not the interest of like a bank would charge you. Right. I'm saying uh, if you borrow money from a bank, they're going to charge you interest. If they gave away all the money for free and all you had to do was pay back what they gave you, how do the bankers make money? How do they themselves support themselves? You see what I'm saying? So, you know, so that's why the interest with child support is different. They charge you interest of all this back child support. And of course, all that interest, in addition to all the back child support, it's all theirs. They keep it all. Now, once they, they collect the money that gets dispersed to your spouse, okay? Then the federal government comes up, and now the federal government tells them that because they've done such a good job at collecting child support, they're going to pay them extra money. So they pay that. The, the federal government pays the local states and, and governments and, and the local governments and the state governments, they get paid 66 cents for every dollar that the child support division gives to your spouse. Mm-hmm. These people actually make, I mean, they make tons of money by destroying families. Mm-hmm. Nothing more than like if you were being paid to become a hitman by the government. And well, because the government's paying you to knock people off, you can't get in trouble. What better job could you have than that? Well, exactly. And I don't know if your judge did this, but my judge on a whim increased the arrears by $3,000. I don't know if she was bored that day or maybe she was mad she wore the wrong lipstick, but she increased my arrears by 3000 And Right. In New Mexico, though, here's the thing. In New Mexico, on one hand, everything has to go through the judge. Uh-huh. On the other hand, the child support can kind of not take anything through the judge if they don't want. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the child support division can really, they need the judge's initial stamp of approval. Mm-hmm. 
once they get that, the child support division has the power to then do what they want without the judge's approval. Now, if you don't like it, mm-hmm. you can go back to family courts, you know? And in other words, it's like you would be taking the child support division back to family courts. But obviously, what if you no longer live in the state? thinking that maybe you can just take off work or you can just appear to court where, because I guess what, you're just like a stay at home person who doesn't do anything anyway. So you can just jump into court whenever you feel like it. That That's crazy, you know? And so, you know, if you don't like anything that the child support division does, you would have to take it back to, back to court to get the judge to reverse what the child support division did. And oftentimes, the judge may not. And if you've got a judge that is constantly corrupt, has constantly ruled against you time and time and time again, and doesn't even allow you, you know, the opportunity to at least present an argument, you know, then what good is going to court? You're going to lose again anyway. Definitely. And what people don't realize is, like over here, they call it a de novo hearing which in Latin means a new beginning. I always called it a new beginning of hell. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, I, it's almost like I've developed a dark humor from the suffering I've been through. But the judge could make it worse for you. You know, even if you prove this, that, and this is my salary, and this never, you know, I never made this much ever in my life. I, I don't know where right. they're coming up with this figure. The judge can just you know, to tick you off, just increase your child support amount. So sometimes you're better off just sitting with what you have, unfortunately. You know, and well, and here's the thing. I know, I know I did briefly mention this uh, later on in my book, but just recently, so just recently I got a letter from the child support division that uh, I guess my case is open for review. They they were saying now, well, I don't know if this is law or not, but they were saying, well, according to the law, they are required to review my case and make any adjustments if necessary, right, to, to the amount of child support that's getting paid. Now, I'm not, for the record, I'm not paying child support, mm-hmm. okay, but rather we can, my wages are being garnished. Okay. And so I find there's a big difference. Okay. If I come up to you and you say, Hey, Toby, here's a hundred dollars. You gave that to me. If I, um, let's say you're walking and I stick my hand in your purse, pull out a hundred dollars. You did not give it to me. I stole it from you. I Mm -hmm. took it illegally. And so that's the difference. That's why I say I'm not paying child support at all. I've never paid a penny of child support because once again, I have never paid them. They have always, now they've gotten child support, but it's through wage garnishments. They've taken it. Right. And so, yeah. And so, but I had mentioned this in my book that, um, oh, see, I forgot where I was going with it now. Well, that's okay. 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 Because, you know, like when I was working, you know, once I lost my career, I was working a menial job and I was wondering, why are they taking half of the money out? 
And I called the corporation and they said, well, because you're in the arrears, they take more out than they normally would if someone was paying and didn't have arrearages. Right. And, um, you know, I just, it's like, well, how do people live on, how do you survive? Right. Well, and and that's the thing, you know, um, you know, child support, it's always based on a set amount. You know, if, if it was really about supporting children, if it was really uh, a pro-family system, I mean, if you go to a child support website, they'll state that they are serving families, but it's a lie. They're not serving families. If it was more about serving families, wouldn't child support be based on a percentage? You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Then I think, and at the same time, that would that not also decrease court appearances? You see what I'm saying? If it's based on a percentage, if I work overtime, you get more money. If my hours get cut, if I end up getting laid off, if I, you know, if I get sick a few days and end up missing work because I get paid less, that you would also get paid less. Mm-hmm. In, Okay, but oh, I remember where I was going with it earlier. Um, you know, I just recently I received something in the letter that my case was open for review. They were going to review my case and look at, you know, evaluate my child support to determine if they need to change the amount. And with it, they were they had requested I send them my financial information, oh. tax return paycheck stub fill all this paperwork out and the first thing i thought is really and they think i'm going to turn over my military strategy you know and let them know what i'm doing you see what i'm saying Mm -hmm. that would be like if you were in a war with another country you know and you're going to go ahead and tell the enemy your secrets that way the enemy knows how to defeat you Mm -hmm. Right. But anyway, they were requesting that. Now, of course, I'm not doing anything. And it's imperative for for your listeners to know, though, that the child support division is their enemy and always has been. Mm -hmm. So if I were to submit it, okay, and I could prove to them that my monthly income was lower than and maybe to the point where I couldn't even live, okay, they would not decrease my child support. Mm-hmm. That would be like, you know, that would be like, you know, taking food away from their own children because they can't buy it. They get paid less money. You see, they're not going to do that. Okay. So if I submitted my income, there would be only one thing that they'd be looking for. How can we increase the support? That's it. So even if, even if on my current support that they're garnishing now was based on a $10 per hour job, okay, even if my pay was the same, I submitted it and I proved that there had been no changes in my pay, they look at it with fresh eyes. If they see a possible way to increase it some, that's what they're going to do. You see what I'm saying? And, and, and here's the thing. You've got some, 
There are websites out there. Many states, New Mexico is like this. It's no different. They have a child support calculator on their website. Mm-hmm. But the calculator, one, we don't know how they're calculating it. Right. Okay. It calculates anyway. If you go to the bank and you obtain a loan, and let's say the bank denies your loan, you can ask the bank, how are you calculating it? And they will tell you what the requirements are, how they calculate it. On your rent or mortgage, it can only be no more than maybe 25% of your income. I mean, they will they will lay out these lines on how they calculate it to determine if you're approved for a loan or not. There's no way to determine that with child support. We don't know who programmed their computer systems, who put in the... The, the computer algorithms, we have no idea. So there's no way it's really calculated. And then even if it was, okay, it still falls short because the calculator does not take into consideration economic circumstances. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The computer system, the algorithms are mathematical. They don't sit there and say, oh, I just received input. The state governor shut down their computers and these people uh, shut down these businesses and these people here lost their jobs. So let's lower this support. <laughs> it's a mathematical, it's a mathematical calculation and they, they can't do that. So all of those economic circumstances, which can affect the person's income are not taken into consideration. No, they're not. Like, when I lost my career as a nurse, the judge had it in her pea brain that I was still making a nursing salary. <laughs> I mean, I still like, what are you thinking? I mean, are, with the, you know, you know, her degree was bigger than mine. She was a lawyer that turned into a judge. And okay, so what, whatever. But she couldn't grasp that I had a false indication, which cost me my job. So I right. can't produce the 3000, um, whatever a month. Right. I, or maybe they don't want to hear it. You know, maybe they, they want to get as much money out of you because they know they can put you in debtor's prison and then extort money from your relatives. Right. You know, there's, uh, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of an author by the name of Stephen Baskerville, okay? But Stephen Baskerville, he's wrote many articles. You can even Google his name. He's got many articles online. And he's considered an authority in the, um, in the family court and child support apparatus, an authority figure. Um, but sadly... His voices to the legislatures go unheeded, are ignored. Mm-hmm. He's also written several books, like Taken into Custody. Okay. And he pointed out, I have his book titled Taken into Custody, The War Against Fathers, uh, the Ma- Family, and the Marriage. Okay. But anyway, he pointed out in there that there was some, that, I mean, this has not happened to me. I've not personally seen this happen, but he's done research and found that there is a particular case where a child was named a junior. They were either like a junior, uh, the second, something like that. 
Now, you would think that these government bureaucrats would be more careful on whose money they're going to take and make sure it's it's accurate by social security numbers. But then again, when greed overwhelms you, you could care less what mistake you make as long as you get what you want. Well, this child had grown up and became an adult. Now, he, first of all, he never saw a penny of that child support. It all went to his mom and his mom spent it on herself. Mm-hmm. Oh, now, granted, she took care of him in the sense that he had clothes, he had food, okay? But the money was always spent on her, okay? Well, the father um, ended up becoming, there was a point he ended up becoming behind in back child support. Now, when the child grew up and became an adult, he got a job, he got his own bank account, he got set, and the government, who could not extract the money from the father, because you can't extract money from somebody who doesn't have it, okay, extracted the money from the uh, child's son, okay, from the, uh, the father's son. Mm-hmm. They went after the child, and the very child that they claimed to be supporting, they took his money, turned around, gave it to the his mom, who, of course, because she was corrupt, it was free money for her. So they were taking the child's money and giving it to the mother. Okay. You know, all under the name of child support. Okay. Now he had attempted to go to family court. He had attempted to try to get that stopped. Of course, to get it stopped, he had to go to court. Who handled these cases? family court handles them. But guess what? He wasn't in a divorce. He didn't have a family court case. So you can't bring somebody to family court unless you're getting divorced or unless it's a case involving a divorce. Therefore, he was never allowed to go into family court. So he couldn't stop it. So he ended up having to change his name, change his identity, get a new social security number. We're, you know, in a whole different state to try to stop them from doing that. Was he successful? <sighs> you know, or maybe not? I honestly don't know. It was one that Stephen Baskerville had reported in his book, Taken into Custody, on, you know, on um, various things that were going on. And some of the things he reported was in the middle of. You know, and now here was the thing when Steve, because Stephen Baskerville is an authority figure in the family court system, he does wield a little bit more power than, say, maybe you or I. If you wanted to go to New Mexico and look into my particular case files, well, you might have a little bit of trouble. You know, especially without my help, you might have some troubles in that because, well, we can't show you some of Toby's files here. But Stephen Baskerville wouldn't have that sort of trouble because he's an authority. He is um, and he reports on what's happening in the family court system. You know, can can a parent contact him if they're with their case, if it's, you know, gone awry? Um, you know, I've, I've never talked to him personally, like on the phone, I have 
talk to him through email, uh, but he doesn't really, he investigates various aspects on what's going on in these cases throughout the states, but he's not, um, he's not one that um, like takes people's cases, you know, <laughs> no. so you can always try contacting him, you may or may not be successful, but like I said, he's not, he doesn't take cases or anything like that. He just kind of, he investigates what happens and he, he's been blowing the whistle on the family court system and its corruption for years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think family court should be abolished along with CPS and domestic relations. Um, that's all messed up. Oh, Yes. You know, yes. Um, you know, like, like one of the things like I had really stressed in my book, though, was the problem was not the people operating it. The problem was the system itself. You know, if if the government gives a person the power to commit a crime with immunity and they can get rich, get very wealthy from this crime that they create and it's complete immunity, you don't think people are going to take advantage of that? Mm-hmm. I mean, there was the New American um, end up um, looking at a report that had been done saying that nearly 50% of Americans or close to it mm-hmm. are receiving some form of government welfare. Uh-huh. Right. You see, government welfare is always appeals to the greedy. It always appeals to those who want something without having to put forth the effort of getting it. Because right. any form of government welfare is getting something for free. And so anybody who goes to any of the state's child, uh, the income support division, well, what happens though is that it's illegal for me to break into your house to steal something from you Mm -hmm. unless however i go to the government and i have the government do that crime and then give it to me you see and that's called and that's what we call legal plunder it's you know, it's when the law allows people to do something that the individual citizen themselves cannot do without committing a crime. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? And so, you know, if we've got nearly 50% of Americans who are going to engage in a system of legal plunder where, you know, well, instead of me working for what I want, I'm going to reach for the arm of government and have the government take from you to give to me and we'll call stamps because I need it. Mm-hmm. 50% of Americans are engaged in that system. Now, what happens when you put these very people in charge of things like a, uh, the child support division, family courts, things of that nature. Well, guess what? They're going to go after people because they can do it legally to increase their own wealth. Mm -hmm. And they don't know when to quit. No. Oh, they don't. Yeah. I mean, it's just ghastly. Yeah. It's, um, it's, uh, 
it's a term known in theology, I should say Christian theology. Um, there's a term known as a God-shaped hole. Okay. Uh, in theology, a God-shaped hole just means that there's a place inside the heart of people that only God can fill. Now, if people try to put, fill it up with other things other than God, then it's never going to be filled because it's never going to be satisfied. So the more money I put in that God-shaped hole, the more empty I'm going to feel. So then the more money I'm going to need to put in it. You mm -hmm. see, that hole can only be filled by God himself. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you when, when we talk about domestic relations, we're talking about family court in a godless courthouse. Yes. Yes, we and they're they're asking you to raise your right hand and swear on what? There's no Bible there. <laughs> you know, and that was the thing in New Mexico. That's not in there in New Mexico. Huh. You know, where you know you you swear under something else, but you do not swear to tell the truth on the Bible. So, and, it, you know, and they used to be in courts, mm -hmm. but, and that's kind of been taken out. Mm -hmm. And they don't, they don't care. These people are ruthless and people don't understand, um, you know, what's, what I see happening is that there obviously are more divorces. There's more personality disorders out there than there ever have been. And when people go to get married, they really don't know who they're really marrying. Um, if someone comes from a, a home with a, you know, a mom and a dad, there was no divorce and, you know, it was okay, you know, an okay childhood, whatever. But if they marry someone who doesn't speak to their mother or does not speak to their father, that should be a red flag as, um, is this someone you really want to marry? Because the past will repeat itself and that person will be using you to fulfill their past, what had happened, a generational fail. Right. Right. It's, you know, something that I think it's can be easily overlooked mm -hmm. is that the, the mechanisms inside the family court system, the child support mechanisms. Okay those mechanisms there create it so that way relationships and people being able to bond later on in their adult life become more and more difficult. Because mm -hmm. what happens, let's say in my case, okay, just if we look at my case, my children do not have a relationship with me. They don't have a bond. There's no natural bond between me and them. Okay. That natural bond has been broken by family court, right? Now, at the same time, who is the perpetrator? Well, the criminal is really my ex-wife. She's the one that is, has perpetrated this crime on my children. Now, because she's the one who is perpetrating the crime against my children, you know, when children are young, you might think, well, they still have some type of attachment or love for their own perpetrator, but what's going to happen when they get older? Mm -hmm. That bond that they used to have with their parents, 
that bond was never a deep, it was never a deep loving bond. Mm -hmm. Superficial and the bond only existed through ignorance. As long as the child never knew what, what they were really doing, okay, as long as they, they never knew that their parents, that their mother or father in some cases, you know, is, um, is actually abusing them and hurting them, as long as they don't know that, then there's a bond there, but it's not a deep bond, okay? It's a very superficial bond. As that child gets older, that bond can be se easily severed. Mm -hmm. They grow up without no, never knowing what it feels like to be loved mm -hmm. because they were never loved by their dad because their dad was never there. Mm -hmm. Their mom committed a crime against them. You don't commit crimes against people you love. You only do that to people you hate. Mm -hmm. so only live with people they hate and they never knew their father. They never, they never had any love from their father. So they grow up as a child without knowing how to love. Mm -hmm. Now, take those adults, okay, after they grow up, take those adults and now try to put them into a relationship when they're going to get married. Mm -hmm. That relationship is never built on love because neither of those people even know how to love. They don't even know what love is. So it becomes more based on self-gratification, what they can get from it. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to lead to another divorce down the road. Mm -hmm. you know? So it's as if the family court system, they're creating their own market. And that's why after family court's existence, after they came into being, these all these child agencies rise up why are we not seeing less divorce why is divorce increasing because they're creating their own markets oh they they certainly are definitely yeah. and uh, i just like really don't know what to think of what's going to happen to society even if we say 10 years from now people don't you know these young kids don't know how to communicate anyway they're all on the cell phone texting their 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 friends and yes. they can't carry on a, a normal conversation so when these people on top of the trauma that they had when they weren't allowed to see their mother or their father or you know um it which is actually child psychological abuse it is yes and so well, you know, when that happens and they go to remarry, you know, God help the person they marry because they don't really know what's coming down the path here. Right. You yeah. Know? I just, you know, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, though, Marianne, through, through all that I've been through, I couldn't have done it without the Lord's help. Mm -hmm. So one of the things, you know, it, it's. It's terrible for any person to have to go through anything like this, whether you're a father, a mother, it's just tragic. Mm -hmm. you know? But anybody forced to, to endure things of this magnitude, you know, the worst thing that that person can do is to harbor revenge mm -hmm. in their heart. 
you know what I'm saying? An unforgiving spirit to have bitterness. Mm -hmm. I battled with that uh, the first couple of years, as a matter of fact, with everything, you know, that I've been going through. But, you know, even though it's been, I'm almost losing track of time here. It's been over five years, maybe going on close to six years now since I've ever even seen or talked to my children, you know, I no longer harbor any anger or animosity towards Amy. You know, I forgive her, you know. Um, and it's like this, you know, if you can, if you can, you know, if you've ever, let's say you've ever injured yourself in a way, whether you burn yourself or something like that, well, initially it's going to hurt. It's going to be very painful, even to the touch, mm-hmm. you know. Initially, that's how it was with my case. But what happens over time? Okay, well, over time, you might heal, but what might be left there from maybe, let's say you burned yourself, a scar, you know, and you can look at that scar and always remember what happened, but you can feel it, you can press it, and it does not hurt. Mm -hmm. That happens in a person's life. That's when they can know within themselves. That's when they can fully know, Marianne, they have truly forgiven. Mm-hmm. So there will be a scar in their life from what had happened, you know, but they can talk about it. They can explain what, what's gone on, mm-hmm. you know, but it doesn't hurt anymore. Mm-hmm. So they have forgiven. And you know, it's like I said, it's tragic that anybody has to go through this. And for anybody that does, the most important thing they can do is to forgive. Mm-hmm. So, because honestly, Amy didn't know what she was doing. Maybe she thought she did, but she didn't. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so that's ultimately, if there comes a point later on when my children maybe reach my website. If there's a a point later on where my children do reach out to me, okay, it could be a year from now, it could be still 10 years from now. But if that day comes, you know, my children will truly, you'll be more effective at building a much closer bond if you had previously forgiven their mother. Mm-hmm. And but no anger. Mm-hmm. You know, when people harbor anger, bitterness, resentment mm-hmm. against their spouse for what happened to them, that's going to come out. It'll come out in your words. It'll come out in actions, even unintentional. Mm-hmm. Well, ultimately, chase your kids away. They're not going to want to be around somebody like that, you know? Right. Right. You know, I mean... Well, I want to keep you all evening, but you know, like what advice could you give a parent that finds themselves, you know, I know getting divorced and then being handed child support papers? Well, I'd like to start out just by uh, quoting from Sun Tzu, who wrote this in his book, The Art of War. So if anybody hasn't read The Art of War by Sun Tzu, you need to read it. It's a really good book. Okay. But um, yeah, he says, if you know the enemy and know yourself, 
you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. I think that is one of the reasons why America is losing one battle after the next in this war that's been waged against freedom. If we as a people, if we intend to defeat the enemies of freedom, we must know who the enemy is, where the battle's being fought, and the strategy they employ. Mm-hmm. So anyone who is anyone who is going through this, whether you've reached child support stages or not, if you've, you know, um, wherever you at, maybe, maybe you've not even gotten divorced yet, but your marriage is already in a bad situation that you don't know how to save it. And you're afraid what happens if, you know, what happens, what can I do now to at least prepare myself? You know, I think that's where you need to first know the enemy because you need to know what they do. That will at least prevent you from making mistakes or if you've made past mistakes, to not keep repeating the same mistakes. Mm-hmm. One area I personally believe that my book can be very effective. And I know, man, you've read it. And in my book, I give a lot of various, I give advice, but my advice is very practical. Mm-hmm. Things that you can put into practice. Things that you can do, you know? Now, I understand that everybody's case is going to be different. And so you might not be able to put in everything into practice, but I give different ways and, you know, for you to know what sort of things can be done and that can maybe help get your creative juices flowing. You might be able to think of other ways that your case might be specific and you might think, wait a minute, I could do this to do that in my case that Toby couldn't do with his because the circumstances might be different. Mm-hmm. So hopefully my book is a great resource for that. Uh, but in addition, at the end of my book, I list many other resources that will help in other areas where my book has fallen short. But second off, whether you're going through this or not, okay, we need to spread the word. We need to teach others about what's happening. I think that's why, um, man, when you asked me to uh, interview me on your podcast, I was very thrilled that it not only did you write a book, but you also have a podcast. You were trying to reach people out there to let them know what is happening, what is going on, because, you know, we can't do anything if we don't know that there's an enemy out there. Or we can't even defeat the enemy if we don't even know what tactics they're using. Mm-hmm. Um, but third, something I would like to do, I'd like to get started, is I would like to have a place on my website that I can post different stories of other people that have may have had to go through similar situations. Mm-hmm. It, it can be a situation worse than mine, not as worse, it doesn't matter. Okay, and so if you, if our listeners out there know somebody who's been violated by the family court system, you know, they need to speak out against it. 
And one way to do that without having to publish a book like I did is you free to email me, you know, contact me with your story. And by the way, you don't even have to give me your real name. Mm-hmm. Free to use a pseudonym, you know, just another name. Just make sure if you do that, it's not a name that everybody knows, like George Washington or Bruce Willis. <laughs> right, right. Right. Um, and but fifth, don't give in. You know, we need to, you know, we need to resist family courts as well as help others to resist them. You know, it's when I was at when I was at work one particular day, this was a, this was several years ago now. One of the people told me, Toby, you need to obey the courts, okay? And you need to support your children. Do the right thing. To that person, I was doing the wrong thing if I defied family courts and I did not willingly pay child support. You see, I think that that type of advice stemmed from ignorance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if... You know, if and my book goes into explain how the divorce machinery is actually kept alive by its victims. Okay, let's face it, the people reaping the benefits are not the ones keeping it alive. You know, every and may I'm sure you can probably agree with me on this. Anybody that we've ever talked to that supports the family court or supports the family the child support system, you notice they're not the ones paying into it. Right. You're right. They're not the ones that are keeping the system alive. Mm -hmm. In fact, even those that the child support division says we're serving families, even those so-called families that they say they're serving, they're not even keeping it alive. Okay. Recipients of child support are benefiting from the system. They're not keeping the system alive. The system only alive through the victims, through the people that it's harming. So if enough of the parents who have been sucked into the system, if they defy family court and the child support industry, the system as a whole would be overwhelmed and collapse from within. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just to sum that up, I think it's important that if, if I myself find myself in it, I need to resist. But if I don't find myself in it, but let's say I I know somebody, I have a friend, I have a family member who's in it. I need to help them resist. And if that means maybe bringing the person to live with me so they can skip and evade paying child support, then I need to do that. Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? To help so the child support system is not paid into. Right. I try to talk to people and, um, you know, avoid going into family court, even just to, to begin with. Yes. I mean, you, you may hate each other, um, but just work it out, you know, for the kids and just keep everything civil and, you know, work out the monies yourself. You don't have to run into a, a courtroom to do this. You can do this yourself. Right. Yes, that's true. You know, in fact, I just talked to a guy. uh, He was putting in a a window for us, but uh, I asked him if he knew what Title Four D (laughs) was, and he he didn't know. But I explained it, 
And I said, did you ever go through family court? You know, he said, well, you know, when they were divorced, he said, no, they only went in there once. And when they saw the horror that was in there, he and his ex-wife decided they're not going back in there. <laughs> and I was really <laughs> proud of them. I, I thought that was really good here. And he said, they just worked out the monies themselves. Right. You know, and that, and you can do that if you're working with someone who is emotionally stable. The yes, problem is, is when you have a personality disorder, then you're stuck in the system. Right. You know, and I'm, you know, so glad you came on to this podcast to share your book with us. And uh, I'm going to have you back on again. So okay. Talk more. I, I always get people sucked in. So, <laughs> you know, it's always good to talk and let people know what's going on in life. You know, right. and, you know, if, if people do want to reach you, what, how do you want, like your email? What is your. Well, um, I can actually be reached in one of two ways. One, you can visit my website. It's very simple. It is strikingdownthehome.com. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. It's strikingdownthehome.com. Um, on there, I do have posts. That's where you can read some of my letters. And, you know, uh, people can comment on the letters uh, that I have. Um, but in addition, if you would like to reach me directly, uh, send me an email is is the best way to do it and it's a simple email address it's just toby at striking down the home.com okay well thank you so much i'm glad you popped on but um don't jump off okay 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 slam the gavels a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms i'm your host marianne petrie author of dismantling family court corruption why taking the kids was not enough and cry out for justice poems of truth please join us again here with toby in the future and other exciting guests thank you so much toby thank you oh i was going to ask you one more thing where can we find your book Oh, it's actually, it's available at any retailer. You can buy it on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Books a Million. Um, in fact, I even found my book available on eBay. So if you're a big eBay shopper. Awesome. Well, that's good to know. And thank you. Thank you again. Thank you.